This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. If it's your first time or maybe first time in a long time, you're joining us in the, the middle of a series that we've called Seek First. And so we're exploring what it means to put Jesus first in every single area of our life. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to us as well. And so each week we've explored what it looks like to put Jesus first in a particular area and then trust him to provide all of the other things in that area. So we've talked about putting him first in our thoughts, in our work, in our time. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to put Jesus first in our money. Uh, so we're going to talk about finances today. Jesus talks a lot about it. Now, I know in, in church, sometimes when you hear we're talking about money, uh, there's all kinds of reactions that, that come up. Um, so let me assure you of a couple of things. First of all, there is no special offering at the end of today's service. So if that's what you're concerned about, you can relax. Uh, second, the church is in wonderfully stable financial position, right? We're, we're not worried about that. That's not what we're talking about. Third, uh, if, you're, if you're still worried, I would say we're going to talk about this because you think about it a lot. There's a study that came out in July of 2021 that said for 71% of Americans, finances are their number one point of stress in life. More than family, more than kids, if they have them, more than politics, more than their health, more than anything else that stresses us out, money is the number one thing on our list for 71% of Americans. Now, for some of us, we might think, yeah, okay, I can see that if you're getting near retirement or if you're trying to put kids through college, uh, you know, if you, if you have kids. But in that same study, it revealed that 81% of millennials uh, who are, are, are me, uh, and younger, right? There's nothing more offensive to a millennial than when they find out that I was born in 1982 and that's the front edge of the millennial. Because they're always like, you're too old, you can't be. Like, sorry, we're in it together, right? Uh, so millennials, for us, 81% uh, of us identify finances as a, a significant source of stress. And then for Gen Z, the generation coming after, which would encompass most of our college students, most of our older high school students, 82% of them say that finances are a significant source of stress in their life. So, so what does that mean for us? It means all of us are worried about our money. We worry about how we spend it. We worry about how we save it. We worry if we're going to have enough so we can spend or so we can save. And when we worry about money, it leads to anxiety. It leads to stress. It can lead to fear. It can lead to doubt. It can lead to um, just all kinds of spaces. Sometimes it leads us to anger or bitterness or jealousy. Worries about money typically lead us into dark places. And that's why Jesus speaks so clearly and so often about the topic of money. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at five things Jesus teaches us, five ways that we can put him first in our finances. And when we do those five things, he promises he'll take care of everything else. So, so just so we're on the same page from the beginning, this is not a, hey, do five things and then you'll have all the money you ever need to do whatever you want. Right? It is, here are five ways you honor Jesus in your finances, and when you seek him first, he will fulfill that promise of Matthew 6, 33, of, and he'll take care of all of these other things as well. Okay, so uh, we'll kind of jump right into it. The first thing that we do when we honor Jesus with our finances is we will not worship money. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus recognizes that, that we tend to give our devotion to the thing that we think gives us security and significance. And as you read through the New Testament, this is the, the most stark contrast Jesus gives us between his kingdom and something else that he intends to be neutral. Right? He's not telling us that money itself is evil, but what he's telling us is, look, there is going to be a temptation in your heart and in your life to give your devotion to your finances. And he makes it very clear, he will not sit on the throne with our money. He says it's God or it's money, but it's never both. One of them will always be elevated over the other. And it's a great reminder to us because when you think about it, Jesus comes to make this announcement to us that you are secure and you are significant because you are God's sons and daughters. Right? And, and so you know, he's going to take care of everything I need. He created me. He called me. He saved me. He did all these things. So I don't need to worry about my future security. It doesn't mean I don't just practice common sense, but it means I don't have this underlying sense of fear of I'm going to be forgotten, left alone, and in need. And then the, the second thing that Jesus comes to announce is you are significant. You matter because you're the sons and the daughters of God. You matter so much that Jesus sent, came here to die for you, to bring you into his kingdom. But what we tend to do is we reject the security and the comfort, the significance that Jesus offers, and we instead look for it in our money. And this is the contrast he's painting for us here. He's saying, look, you cannot worship money because it was not designed to stand up to the weight of your worship. If you worship it, you will crush it. It leads to a greedy, corrupt culture. It leads to a greedy, corrupt life. And so you've got to choose one way or the other. And this is a, a wonderful warning for us to hear because we live in a culture of excess. Right? I, mean, I mean, everywhere we turn, it's buy this, buy that, have this, have that, and then you'll be happy, and then you'll be secure, and then you will matter to other people. And so Jesus is coming very directly to us this morning to say, no, 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 it was true then, and it's true now, and it's true for you. You will choose God or money, but you will not choose both. And to try to choose both and to say, no, 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 I am the exception. God and money coexist is to actually reject him entirely. He says, you'll be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. And so he's making it very clear to us as followers of Jesus, we are to embrace a view of money where it is subordinate to God's place in our life, which means if I'm going to put him first, he has to actually be first and I won't worship money. And then kind of the second thing tags right along with that of if I'm going to put Jesus first in my finances, then I won't put my hope in money. So listen to the way Jesus phrases this in Luke chapter 12. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So when we hear greed, uh, some of us, we might have a, a picture of a lifestyle or maybe a person or, or something of what that really looks like. But greed typically has a, a, a wider definition than you or I would typically embrace because we usually embrace a definition of greed that excludes us from it, right? Like, 
Well, greedy people are people who own five homes. <laughs> greedy people have seven cars. Like we, we just, we always make sure we set the bar just high enough that we fall underneath it, right? But what we want to think about is greed can take all kinds of forms. It can look like selfishness. It can look like foolish spending. It can look like unethical business practices. It can look like jealousy. It can look like violence. It can look like hoarding. It can look like a fear that you're never going to have enough, and that pervades every part of your life. But every form of greed has the same ultimate goal, to convince you that if you can just amass enough money and stuff, you will finally be secure and significant. And what Jesus is telling us here is any time you think the next purchase, the next raise, the next promotion, the next amount in your savings account, the next amount in your retirement portfolio, any time you attach your significance to that, you are setting yourself up for an experience of death. Because he says life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And if you don't believe me, then I would challenge you to spend time with someone who has more than you. And, and through conversations and through observations, begin to try to figure out, does having more stuff, does having more money actually satisfy your soul? And, and what you'll discover is it definitely makes you more comfortable. It definitely makes portions of life more enjoyable. But if you're, if you're able to talk to people who have more than you, you'll typically hear them say one of three things. First of all, if they're a generous follower of Jesus, what they'll tell you is, God has blessed me and I enjoy these things, but they do nothing for my soul. And they are temporary and they're fleeting and I try to use them for his kingdom. It's a very mature understanding of possessions and money. The second option that you'll, you'll discover sometimes is that there are people who say, you know what, I, I, I've been blessed and I'm spending and I'm buying and I'm accumulating and I still feel the same emptiness inside that I felt before I had all this stuff and before I had all of this security. And th then you'll find some who are on the other end and, and just kind of, you know, make that, that honest observation of like, I know it looks like I have it all together, but I am dying in debt. Like, I live in a house I can't afford, I drive a car I can't afford, I play on a boat I can't afford, I have kids I can't afford, they go to a school I can't afford, I can't afford anything at all, I am robbing Peter to pay Paul, I'm maxing out credit cards here and there, I shuffle money left and right just to cover it, and you walk away feeling like, oh my goodness, their life is awful. Right? And, and these are the discoveries we have. What you will never discover is a person who says, I finally was able to buy enough that I have lasting peace lasting joy, and lasting hope. Now, when we put our hope in our possessions, what we find is we become more and more fearful of those possessions being taken away from us. And so, so here's, here's the challenge, though, because some of us, we can sit here today and be like, yeah, I don't put my hope, I don't have anything. Right? Like, I, I can't afford to buy anything. It's not just necessarily what you actually own or possess. It's also what you desire to own or possess. It's, it's that idea of, one of the ways to tell if you're putting your hope in money is when you feel low, do you go buy stuff? Not expensive stuff, not like, honey, check out the truck and the boat. I got them today, right? But do you, I mean, it, like, do you just, if you're bored, if you're lonely, if you're depressed, do you just skip on over to Amazon? Do you drive to Target, ladies? I know men go to Target. They just don't buy stuff, right? But I, I just, every time I go there, it's like, man, it's like, anyways, side, side track. That doesn't matter. Uh, but, but if that's true, 
right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you don't even buy stuff. But maybe you're, kind of the way you get out of that is you're just going to go daydream for a while. Right, like I, I'll admit, I'm, I'm the king of this. There's, there's, nothing, there's no more fun way for me to kill half an hour than looking at cars I'll never be able to afford and showing them to my wife of like, wouldn't this be awesome? She's like, that's worth more than our house. Like, I know. Wouldn't it be cool? Imagine me picking you up for a date night. I get, we could drive 200 miles an hour. Like, and there, you know, there's this whole like disconnect that happens between me and her in those moments. But anytime we're doing this, what are we doing? We're saying, I, I really think if I could just have that, then I'd be happy. I really think if I could just have that, then I would matter. I really think if I could just pull up at my 20 year class reunion in that car, then they would know I've made it. I really, you know, and, and, and in that space, what Jesus is telling us is, hey, watch out. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, but greed does. And the more stuff you have, the more prone you can be to becoming a greedy person. So Jesus kind of gives us two, two don'ts, but then he also gives us some really positives of, hey, if you're going to reject that, you also need to embrace this. So the first thing he tells us is if you're not going to worship money and you're not going to put all your hope in money, then you have to choose a completely different way of life and a different way of interacting with money. And that one is very simple. He says, if you're going to seek Jesus first in your finances, you are going to be a giver. So again, we'll go back to Matthew chapter 6 for this one. Start in verse 2. Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So this, this again, like we, could, we could spend 30, 45 minutes on each one of these points, but we just don't have time. Uh, so uh, what I want you to understand, though, is, is this idea comes in a section of teaching where Jesus is basically saying, hey, you've always heard this is the way, and now I'm telling you this is the way. And in this passage, he's telling us, hey, there are some ways where God's command that you give to the needy has been corrupted, and so I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to show you how to do it. But what I want us to notice at the very beginning is he makes that statement, when you give to the needy. Jesus expects Christians to be givers. There's no such thing as a non-giving Christian, right? A non-giving Christian is an absurdity. Like there's just, it's like a vegetarian who doesn't eat vegetables, where you just, you're like, so how does that work? Or an extrovert who doesn't talk to people. It's just, these things don't go together. And in the same way, what we see again and again in the scriptures is God's people are generous people. God's people are giving people. Jesus tells us this. He tells us, hey, freely you have received, now freely give. Our whole experience of the kingdom of God is rooted in God's generosity towards us. We did not earn our salvation. We received our salvation. We didn't knock down the door to heaven. It was opened wide by Jesus for us. And so because we have come in through the generous gifts of God, generous giving is supposed to be a part of our life. And so the question that we have to answer then as followers of Jesus is, well, how do I give? Right? In, in the Old Testament, it's very clear how we give. So in the Old Testament, there, there are kind of two principles that are they're really one and the same. But in the Old Testament, God's people are told to give their first fruits, 
which means that, that, that literally when they have a harvest, the first portion of it, they give back to the Lord. The first fruits of their flock, the first fruits of their income, of their vineyards, all of this they would take and they would present to the priests at the temple as an offering back to the Lord. And then we see this idea kind of being instituted in Israel of those first fruits are going to be 10% of your harvest, going to be 10% of your flocks, going to be 10% of your income. And we call this tithing, right? The idea of giving 10%. And so historically, when it comes to how do we give, many Christians have embraced the principle of tithing. Over the past 20 years or so, there, there's been some, some pushback in the church of the, the idea of, well, Jesus never told us to tithe. And whenever somebody, you know, I get emails on occasion or sometimes someone will want to have that conversation in person. Um, and I, I love it because often what I have found is the person who says Jesus never told us to tithe is looking for a reason not to give. And they think they've come with a like, hey, pastor, I bet you never thought of this before. And I love it because just like, all right, biblical scholar, let's have a talk. You're right, Jesus never told us to tithe. But because you've done so much research, you also know that Jesus told us he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And you also know that when he says he fulfills the law, it means he expands it in an even bigger way and makes it more comprehensive and more far-reaching. So do not murder becomes do not hate. Do not commit adultery becomes don't even lust. And so 10%, man, for you, great news. It must be so much more than that. Like he, he's fulfilling the law in you. I am so glad that you've come to the realization that tithing is an Old Testament principle, but you want to be a New Testament giver because that is always over and above exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever think or ask or imagine. And then it's like, I, I, think, I think tithing's a pretty good idea. <laughs> you say 10%? Is 10 per, was that it? Is that how it worked? Right? And, and so it's just this thought of, hey, 10%, like I know for Angie and I, that has been a, a wonderful baseline standard of giving our entire marriage. Like we were fortunate enough. We grew up in homes with parents who modeled tithing for us, right? When I was mowing lawns in Topeka, my parents were teaching me, if you get paid 10 bucks, you give $1. And it was a way to instill this discipline of giving in me. And, and so what Jesus is telling us in Matthew chapter six is he's saying, look, don't give so that you're recognized by others, but just give in, in such a natural way where your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, I think we would all want to be that kind of person. Like, I want to be naturally giving. I want to effortlessly give. But what I've learned in my life is if I want to be a natural giver, I have to be a disciplined giver. Because if, if I just take this approach of like, you know what? I will just wait until the Spirit inspires me, and then I will give. What I have found to be true for me is if I adopt that approach, by the time the Spirit inspires me, I'm out of money. Because I bought everything else and I paid every other bill and I put it all first. And so for Angie and I, it was a decision from, from day one of our marriage of we're going to be giving people and our baseline is going to be 10%. And we know Jesus doesn't require that of us, but we also see it as a really healthy model that the scriptures give us that we want to apply in our life. So now for, for 20 years, we have modeled that discipline. And what we have found is as we are disciplined to tithe and disciplined to give, that financial discipline filters into other areas of our life. Because as, as Americans, here's, here's what we constantly do. We constantly say, I make X and I spend X. 
right? You go to look for a house, and, and what do they tell you the house you can afford? The biggest one possible. You go buy a car, and what do they tell you the car you can afford? The most expensive one. And if you can't, that's okay. We'll just extend it. We can have a 10-year note on that thing. Like, 10 years? I don't like anything after 10 years except my wife and kind of my kids. You know, everything else, you're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to do it. But, but constantly you're told like, oh, well, you make this. You can have that. And all around in our culture, we buy into this lie of like, hey, every time, you get, every time your income increases, your lifestyle should increase with it. And what winds up happening, because we don't live with discipline, we don't live with generosity. Because we've already given all of our resources to everything else. And what Jesus is trying to help us understand is, look, you should give in a way where your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. But you're not just going to wake up one morning and have that happen. Natural giving is the result of disciplined living. And when you embrace the disciplines of everything God has given me belongs to him, and I will designate a a first fruits type portion back to him each month, then I can live off of everything else that's left, right? And, And God will continue to work and he'll continue to move in those spaces and he will do incredible things through you. Maybe think of it this way. This morning when, when the band was leading us, like you, you looked over here and, and you saw Clayton playing the drums. You saw Austin and Enrique and Tate and Jordan. They're playing the guitar. You saw uh, uh, Steffi and Matt over here. They're playing the keyboards. And all of them are using both hands to do different things at the same time. And for those of you who are musicians, you're like, yeah, of course they are. And for those of us who are not musicians, it is a mind-blowing process. Like I, I took uh, one 20-minute guitar lesson about 10 years ago. And I quit. It was supposed to be a 30-minute. We didn't even make it to the end. Uh, but I quit when I realized, like, he showed me a few things. And, and when I realized, I always thought you just had to figure out what to do with your left hand on the neck of the guitar, and you hit all the strings all the time with your right hand. And when he told me you could only hit certain strings in certain orders when you're doing certain things, I knew I'm out. Like, my, my brain, literally, I could feel the short circuits occurring, Right? <laughs> The drums, like Clayton's not over there, like right hand, left hand, left foot, right foot. You know, he's not doing that. He just, he just plays, right? The, the, when they're playing the keyboard, it's not a thought of this finger, that. Why? why? Because they've been disciplined to practice. Yeah, they've been gifted, but they're disciplined to play and to practice. And then when it's time, they can do it in a way that to the rest of us looks effortless. That's the kind of giving Jesus is inviting you and I into. Where others look and say, man, I hope I could be as generous as you. And our response is, you can't but it's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some practice. You're going to have to say no to some things so that you can say yes to Jesus's way of life. And so parents, this is one of those things, like we have a responsibility not just to do it, but to model it for our children. So for Angie and I, we we realized uh, about five or six years ago that we had to make a shift in the way we talked about money in our house. Because as our kids got older, they started to go to friends' homes, and they would see, like, well, they have a pool where their, their dad's car is nicer than yours. Well, they went here on vacation. They did that. And, and so they would always come back and, and say, like, hey, can we do that? Hey, Dad, why do you drive that instead of that? Hey, Mom, why don't we have a pool? And, and all of these things. And, and so for a long time, our answer was, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. I mean, down to like, hey, can we go to this restaurant? No, we can't afford that. We're going to go here instead. Uh, and, and, and God kind of spoke to Angie and I. We, we had to stop saying that. We had to start telling our kids, we're choosing not to spend our money that way. It wasn't a lack of resources, but it was because God had called us to be giving generous people, and we had a limited pool of resources. Some of those were spoken for, and then we were going to live on the rest of them. 
And so sometimes that meant we drove the older car. We didn't go on that vacation. It might mean, hey, your friend got to go to Europe. You get to go to Branson. Uh, you know, and, and it's kind of the same thing, right? Uh, but not really. So, so we're just having those talks. And what you and I are trying to learn is if we want to be naturally giving people, we have to be disciplined to give. And as we're disciplined to give, what we're going to learn is we're giving as an act of worship to God, not for the recognition of others. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who play their trumpets in the streets to announce their giving. But instead, give in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So our motivation for giving, we're not giving to get back from God, and we're not giving to get recognition from others. But we're giving, Jesus tells us, as an act of worship, trusting that the God who sees is the God who provides. So I don't need you to clap for me. I don't need you to know, like for Angie and I, we're, we're happy to talk with people about percentages and principles and all of those things of giving, but we, we don't ever have a talk of like, hey, here's, so just so you know, here's exactly how much we're giving. Right? Like we're not, we're not clapping our way to the offering bucket on a Sunday morning. We're not posting on, on social media, any of that at Christian Chapel. We're not naming rooms after people. And there's no Chris and Angie Dow memorial seating section over here, first of all, because we're still alive, right? It'd be offensive if there was. But we don't, now I know some churches do that to honor people, and that's a totally different thing. But for us, we really take Jesus seriously here of, hey, just, just give in secret. And what I've noticed in my life is I talk to friends and mentors who, who God has blessed in tremendous ways, is typically the more generous they are, the less recognition they want for it. It's just, hey, I know God has blessed me and I just want to be a blessing to others, but nobody needs to know it's coming from me. My name doesn't need to be attached to it. Just tell them that God has provided. And it's such a wonderful example of what this looks like. So the, the problem with generosity for some of us is we think, hey, I, I love that and I want to do that, but I'm afraid if I'm too generous, then I'm going to dig myself a hole for tomorrow. So, so sometimes the Lord will come and he'll inspire us of, hey, you need to start giving and I want you to give disciplined, or I want you to give extra. I want you to give over and above. And we think, yes, I want to do that, but then there's a fear of, but I might have bills tomorrow. And so, so the, the next thing Jesus teaches us is if we're going to put him first in our finances, then we are going to trust Jesus to take care of all of our needs. So let's go back to our, our foundation verse for this series. We'll start a, a couple verses before. In verse 31, Jesus says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, Christians can be generous because we trust Jesus to take care of us. Everything you have, every possession, every dollar, every talent, every ability, every title, every business opportunity— is the result of God's gracious work in your life. You've worked hard. You've been disciplined. You've showed up on time. You've been careful in your choices, but you know in your heart, he's the one who gave you those natural abilities. He's the one who gave you the work ethic to apply them. He's the one that allowed you to be born at the right time, at the right place, in the right part of the country where you could exercise those things. 
you know, if you have experienced any success at all, that there are dozens, if not hundreds of variables that could directly impact your bottom line that are completely out of your control. And all of that should bring us back to the point to remember the God who has provided everything I need to this point is the God who will provide everything I need in the future. Now, you can still have space for, for, again, discipline giving typically bleeds over into discipline spending and discipline saving and discipline investing. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when our fear over the future prevents us from being generous today, it reveals a lack of trust in God's provision. And sometimes the wealthier we are, we feel like I, I have actually reached the point where now I think I trust myself more than I trust the God who brought me here. And in that space, what Jesus is reminding us of is, hey, when it comes to your resources, when it comes to your trust in the Lord, you have two ways to live. You can live like a pagan where you run around and worry about what am I going to drink and what am I going to eat and what am I going to wear and how am I going to retire and can I pay for the kids to go to college and what if I lose my job and what if I'm to say all of these kinds of things where you're consumed by the fear and the worry and the doubt where it keeps you up at night and wakes you up in the morning. Or he says, you can be a generous person and you can live convinced knowing that when I seek Jesus first, his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be given to me as well. He is, as we sang earlier, the God who provides. And when Jesus asks us to be generous today, he already has a plan for providing for us tomorrow. Right? He, he's not going to ask you to give yourself into the poorhouse. But he is going to ask you to give to be part of his presence, his plan, his purpose in the lives of others. And what he tells us is, hey, when you put him first, he'll take care of everything else. And when it comes to our finances, we all have a long list of everything else. And we're worried about our rainy day funds. We're worried about getting out of debt. We're worried about paying for the house, paying for the car. We're worried about retirement. We're worried about sending kids to school. We're worried about braces and medical bills and all of the other things that can come up. And what's Jesus telling us is, hey, put me first and I'll take care of all of that. You do not have a financial need that is surprising to Jesus. Every single one of them he knows about. You might have some foolish needs that he wants to talk to you about, <laughs> right? Of like, hey, well, maybe step one, let's get rid of the credit card. Uh, you know, or, or maybe step two, three cars is a little excessive for one dude. You can't afford one. Uh, you know, so there might be some things he talks to you about, but you have no needs that he doesn't know about. And so when he's asking you, hey, be generous, be a giver, it's not to put you in a bind, it's to teach you to trust. And again, I, I mean, I can only tell you from my own experience, for Angie and I, for 20 years that we've been married, we've made that choice to put God first in our finances. And we've begun to make those, those regular disciplined gifts. And that discipline is filtered into other areas of our life. And then there have been times where God's called us to give over and above that. And we've been obedient to do it. And all I can tell you is in every single season of our life, for 20 years, there's always been enough. He's provided for every need. We haven't always had the financial cushion that we would like. I mean, sometimes our financial cushion has felt like a really thin sheet of plywood right? Like just, just uncomfortable and you're not sure how long it's going to hold, but it's always been enough. We've never missed a bill payment because of a lack of funds. I mean, there, there's been a few of like, did you send that? Oh, you, I, I was supposed to send that. I, we should send that. Uh, you know, and, and so there, there have definitely been those moments, 
But it's never been for a lack of funds. We've never missed a meal. We've never been homeless. We've never been without the basic necessities of life. Our kids have never been deprived. And again, that, that, I'm not saying that we give so that that happens. What I'm saying is when we give, we are walking the path of obedience and blessing that God has laid out for us. And when I walk the path that he says give, it's also the path where he provides. And so I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I have an idea of what I wish it would look like for Jesus to supply all the other things as well. And what I want it to look like is I have all the money I need for any problem I could ever have, and I don't have to worry about anything. And yet our experience has been he's the God of more than enough, and sometimes he provides for needs we can't even see coming. But again, in that space, I mean, you, you've probably been there as well. We've been in those seasons early in marriage of the tax return came in, in March or April and the air conditioner went out in May, right? And, and it just goes straight into it. And th- there's a temptation in that space to think, we never get to spend our money on fun stuff, right? But there's a truer realization of the Lord always provides. Like he knew this was coming. He knew how angry I get when I'm hot. And he has provided for the sake of our marriage and the sake of our children. And that's better than any vacation we would have went on. Right? And so we're just learning that, hey, when, when you trust him, you continue to get more reasons to trust him. Because he provides again and again and again. And if we had time to go around the room, maybe in your home groups next Sunday, you'll have the opportunity to tell your own stories of God's provision. And there's seasons where maybe he called you to give in a disciplined way, maybe a sacrificial way, maybe an over and above way. And what you have found every single time is the same thing that I have found is that when I listen to God's voice and follow his commands, life is better. Because he really does take care of all of these other things. And then the last thing Jesus teaches us is that when we put him first in our finances, we will be faithful with what God gives us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, it says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, this comes in a a larger story where Jesus tells us about a, a, a master, a manager, a business owner who leaves, and he leaves his resources with some of his servants, some of his employees. And it says that he gives to each of them as their ability required. And so some got a lot, some got a little. But when he came back, he took an accounting from each one of them. Of what did you do with the things that you, I placed in your hands? And now this is one of those, I wish we had 30, 45 minutes because there's so many good lessons in here. Lessons of G, just worry about what Jesus puts in your hands, not everyone else's hand. Just be faithful with what you have. If he gives it to you, he trusts you to do something with it. But what I want us to focus on this morning is just this this really brief idea of you've been faithful with a few things, so I will trust you with many things. And so some of us at times, I think we have this idea of I will be generous when. I'll be generous when God puts more in my hands. I'll be generous when I get a real job. I'll be generous when I get the promotion. I'll be generous when I retire the debt. I'll be generous when the kids are out of college. I'll be generous when we finally have the empty nest. I'll be generous when. And and what we find is that we always have an excuse in the next season to prolong it for one more season. Because we always have needs. We always have. And so what Jesus is trying to teach us is, hey, if you would like more, you should learn to be faithful with what you have. Now, our faithfulness should not be rooted, our generosity should not be rooted in, I'm going to give now so God will give me more then. 
But it should be rooted in this principle of, hey, if, if I want God to give me increased responsibility, if I want him to give me increased influence, if I want him to bless me with increased resources, then I need to prove and show that I can be faithful with what I have right now. Because if I can't do that, why would he give me more? Not just with my money, but with my responsibility, with my family, with all kinds of things. I have to be faithful here. And so what we're really learning, especially when it comes to our generosity, is tomorrow's generosity starts today. If you're waiting for something else before you become a generous person, you won't be generous when you get there either. Because it's not about the amount in your bank, it's about the obedience of your heart. What Jesus is trying to help us understand is obey now with a little, and then it's going to be easier to obey later with a lot. And our individual definitions of a little and a lot, it doesn't matter how it compares with somebody else's little and a lot. You know, for Angie and I today, what what we think is a big sacrificial gift, other people would just look at of like, ah, that's not a big deal. And some others might look at as that's an impossible gift that I could never attain. But it doesn't matter what you think or they think. What matters is what we're doing with what God has put in our hands. And so, so I would say, especially to our high school students, to our college students, to our young adults, like this is your time to lay the groundwork to be generous for your entire life. I am, I'm so thankful for parents and youth pastors who taught me as a, a seventh grader who was making $10 a lawn mowing grass in Topeka, Kansas, that, hey, for every 10 you make, give one back to the Lord. And it, it was pretty easy. Right? And then when I got my first job at 16, and I was rolling in cash, right? my, my bank account was frequently in the double digits. I mean, it, it was just like there was a lot of money and it was a lot of resources and responsibility. I made, I made $7 an hour uh, working in the cafeteria at St. Francis Hospital in Topeka, Kansas. I wore polyester black pants. I wore a polyester vest, a white uh, button-up shirt, and a little polyester bow tie. I have no idea why they made you dress that way to serve hospital food, but, but they were trying to, you know, make it a, a little bit classier. So, so I, I started making what I thought was real money for the first time in my life. And at that point, my parents, they kept instilling that idea of, hey, be a disciplined giver, be a faithful giver. Everything that God gives is so that he provides. So, so yeah, you got to, you know, maybe you're trying to buy a car and save for that. That's good, but keep giving. And then I had a youth pastor who came along and he heard what my parents were telling me. He was like, that's great, that's awesome, you should do that. And let me tell you about giving to missions. And let me tell you about giving over and above. And let me tell you about what it means to give where your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. And he began to challenge my understanding of it wasn't just that like I pay my tithe, it was that I give gladly and joyfully and I give as much as I can, as often as I can because that's how God has given to me. And from that space, those lessons being instilled in me as a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old, as, as they were instilled in Angie and I in our early years of marriage as, as broke graduate school students, as they were instilled in us in those early years of just babies everywhere. Like we had one, then we had another one, then we had another one, and it's, it's all diapers all the time, and you're just looking forward to the day of one day we'll have teenagers and life will be cheap. Right? And, and Yeah, exactly, right? And then you have them, and you're like, oh, so both of you need braces at the same time. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and all of these things. And then we know college is on the horizon. And I still don't know what that's going to be like, but the Lord will provide. And I know the great and glorious day is coming when all three of them will be off my payroll. (laughs) And in that space and everywhere along the way, what I have learned, what you will learn, is that God is faithful and God provides. 
But I'm so glad that was instilled in me when it was these tiny little amounts. Because it was way easier to give that when I was making $10 a lawn. It was way easier to give that when I was making $7 an hour. It was easier to give that when I was making the big bucks selling long distance as a telemarketer in college, making $11 an hour, right? And in those spaces, it was easy to keep making those gifts and making those gifts and making those gifts. Because if you wait until you hit the level that you want to hit, what you're going to find is suddenly that check is a lot bigger and harder to write. But if you build in this practice of disciplined generosity, of listening for God's call to be an over and above giver, then you will become a natural giver in every season of life. So especially to our our young, our teenagers, our young adults, do it now. And you will set yourself free in a way that sets you on a trajectory of life and peace and hope and joy compared to the rest of the world around you. And maybe if you're on the other side of that and you think, I I wish I would have done that 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. It's never too late to start walking the path of obedience that God lays out for us. There's always time. And when you do, he provides. what What I really want to leave you with this morning is this idea of when you seek Jesus first in your finances, it leads to freedom. Angie and I do a a lot of pre-marriage counseling with uh, young couples who are getting married. And so finances are one of the things that we talk to them about every single time. And and we go over basically everything we've talked about this morning of you have to make a decision early on to be disciplined. You have to make a decision early on to be generous. You have to identify your guiding financial principles. And the best place to find those is in the scriptures. You have to set your long-term goals, but also trust God to speak to you in this space. But what we're really trying to help them understand is when you submit your finances to Jesus, it brings freedom. And what 71% of our nation says is a significant, the number one source of stress, you view as a place where you experience God's peace, his joy, his hope, and his provision. Where others stay up at night, you go to sleep easy. Where others worry if it will ever be enough, you know there will always be enough. And in that space of submitted finances, you find freedom and life that Jesus intends for us to experience. And that's my prayer. That's my hope for you this morning. Again, we don't, we don't want anything from you except that you experience the fullness of life Jesus came to bring to us. And when it comes to your finances, it's to seek him first and trust him to add all of these other things to you as well. We stand with me. I want to pray for you. And then the band's going to come back and lead us in a final song. Jesus, we come this morning. Lord, we're thankful that you are the God who provides. Lord, I pray first of all for for any person who might be in the room with us or online who has not surrendered their life to you. Lord, today, may they hear your invitation to find their security and their significance as your son and as your daughter. Jesus, I pray for those who are here who just financially right now, life is so stressful and painful. Today, may they hear the promise that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord who always provides. You're the God who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. You're the God who, as you ask us to give, you promise to provide. And so, Lord, we come today with our hands and our hearts open, asking that you would speak clearly to us, reveal the spaces in our heart where we are giving too much of our time, attention, and energy to money. 
Reveal the spaces where money is trying to climb on the throne with you. And Lord, help us instead to embrace the radical generosity that Jesus enables. Help us to experience your provision, your grace, and let our finances be a place of peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.